This is episode number 269 with principal data scientist at Viral Gains, Justin Fortier. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by my very own book, Confident Data Skills. This is not your average data science book. This is a holistic view of data science with lots of practical applications. The whole five steps of the data science process are covered from asking the question to data preparation to analysis to visualization and presentation. Plus, you get career tips ranging from how to approach interviews, get mentors and master soft skills in the workplace. This book contains over 18 case studies of real-world applications of data science. It covers off algorithms such as random forest, k-nearest neighbors, naive bays, logistic regression, k-means clustering, Thompson sampling, and more. However, the best part is yet to come. The best part is that this book has absolutely zero code. So how can a data science book have zero code? Well, easy. We focus on the intuition behind the data science algorithms so you actually understand them, so you feel them through and the practical applications. You get plenty of case studies, plenty of examples of them being applied. And the code is something that you can pick up very easily once you understand how these things work. And the benefit of that is that you don't have to sit in front of a computer to read this book. You can read this book on a train, on a plane, on a park bench, in your bed before going to sleep. It's that simple, even though it covers very interesting and sometimes advanced topics at the same time. And check this out. I'm very proud to announce that with dozens of five-star reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, this book is even used at UCSD, University of California, San Diego, to teach one of their data science courses. So if you pick up confident data skills, you'll be in good company. So to sum up, if you're looking for an exciting and thought-provoking book on data science, you can get your copy of Confident Data Skills today on Amazon. It's a purple book, it's hard to miss, and once you get your copy on Amazon, make sure to head on over to www.confidentdataskills.com where you can redeem some additional bonuses and goodies just for buying the book. Make sure not to forget that step. It's absolutely free. It's included with your purchase of the book, but you do need to let us know that you bought it. So once again, the book is called Confident Data Skills and the website is confidentdataskills.com. Thanks for checking it out and I'm sure you'll enjoy. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show. And in today's episode, we've got a lovely guest, Justin Fortier, who is the principal data scientist at Viral Gains. That's Gains with an N. Uh, and he joined us for the conversation today. So what did we talk about? Well, Viral Gains is a disruptive company in the space of ad tech, which is advertising technology. And it's a very interesting space because what they do is they show ads such as video ads, for instance, on YouTube or on other platforms, and they need to very quickly within milliseconds decide which ad needs to be displayed. So for instance, they have multiple clients and they pay for ad space, but then based on who's watching the ad, 
they very quickly need to make the decision of who, what ad to display. So not only is there machine learning and algorithms involved, but also they have to happen very fast, like lightning fast within a couple of milliseconds because while the page is loading, you, you don't have much time to decide which ad. So you have data science in a constrained space. You, have, you need to create algorithms and models, but you, cannot, you don't have the luxury of time for those models to run within like an hour or whatever else. They need to process very fast. And that's what we're going to be talking about here. So we're talking about ad tech, uh, performing insights or getting insights, making decisions within milliseconds with data science. Uh, you'll get some feature engineering ideas from today's podcast, which is always fun. Uh, you will learn about the business impact, why business impact is ultra important for a data scientist to consider. And on the other hand, why user experience is an ultra important factor for a data scientist to consider more and more in today's world. You'll also learn about Justin's uh, path. He's had a very interesting career from managing data scientists at large organizations to being a single data scientist at smaller startups. And he'll also comment on some very interesting career decisions that he made along the way, uh, such as picking an MBA over a PhD. So I found that quite interesting and I think you will too. And by the way, Justin and I met at uh, the Data Science Go 2018 conference. So if you haven't gotten your tickets for DSGO 2019 yet, make sure to check them out at datasciencego.com. And on that note, without further ado, let's bring our guest into the studio. I bring to you Justin Fortier, who is the principal data scientist at Viral Games. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I've got a super exciting guest joining us in from Boston, Justin Fortier. Justin, how are you going, my friend? Doing great, Carol. How are you? Very good as well. Thank you. And uh, really cool to catch up. As uh, as we mentioned at the just before the podcast, uh, when I saw your face, I was like, "Oh, you look familiar." Where did we meet? And we actually met at Data Science Go last year. Isn't that crazy? How how was the conference? How was your experience at Data Science Go? I loved it. Uh... I've been to a lot of data science conferences over the last five years or so, and that was definitely one of the best. It was uh, super high energy and, um, you know, exciting and motivating and great speakers. And and, uh, and I was glad to meet you and, and Hadlin in person because I had taken a bunch of your courses and they had really helped me in my career. So I wanted to shake your hand and thank you. So that was great. Yeah, thank you very much. And it was really cool. I think you said we met at the at the yoga as well in the morning. With Jake, yeah, I Jake think Lean. I think there was uh yeah I think there was like a I don't know if it was seven or eight a.m. out back because it was like San Diego so it was perfect weather yeah and uh, we were doing we were doing some yoga and and I looked over and uh, I was all sweaty and I shook your hand and you're probably like who's this guy but, uh, that was me <laughs> that's really cool well how did you find the yoga by the way like because uh, uh, Jacqueline's a good friend of mine and the point was for us for her to help people energize before like a long day of conferencing did you find that help yeah it was great in fact uh i only did it one of the days but mm. i think uh I, I wished i had done it more because uh it's just a great way to start the day and um it wasn't like you know super hardcore exercise but it was just enough to kind of get the blood pumping and uh and she was great the whole conference it wasn't just the yoga right she was she led us uh, in a lot of uh 
cheering and singing and dancing. Yeah. And, um, she, she's one of a kind. You don't see her at most data conferences, <laughs> yeah. that's for sure. So that was, man, that was a nice touch. Man, I'll tell you, yeah, like, because I'm in Bali now. And last year, that's where I met her. And we flew her all the way from Bali just for Data Science Go because of the energy she brings. She, like, right here, she, she's, um, there's a place called Samadhi Bali on, on the street I'm living on right now. And it's like a yoga studio. And she does yoga there. And also she does these ecstatic dances which is like a way for you to release your inner self and like dance to music it's it's really cool and when you see her doing one of these things like it's it's pretty much what she did on the conference and um yeah so like the energy was incredible so we had to bring her so it was good fun i'm glad i'm glad a lot of people have had great feedback about that that component of the event you want to fly her from bali to to uh, San Diego and then that people have no idea who she was, right? So, so she was very memorable. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, uh, speaking of uh, courses, like you mentioned, you were excited to take, uh, you know, you've taken a few of our courses with Adlan and uh, myself. Um, you're doing your own course in Harvard in a couple of weeks. Tell us a bit about that. That sounds super exciting. Yeah, so um, thanks. Yeah, so I, I live in Cambridge, so about five or 10 minute drive from Harvard and I work in downtown Boston and um, I met a guy uh, named Ted Cortler at a data science conference in, in Boston, I don't know, probably a couple of years ago. And he was uh, working as a full-time data scientist at Liberty Mutual, an insurance company in downtown Boston. And he was teaching a course uh, for Harvard in their summer school. And he was looking for a guest speaker to come in and just talk for an hour about how they use data science in the business world. So he had me come in uh, representing like advertising. And then he had another guy come in that was like actually using data science uh, in a venture capital firm. So I did the talk and, um, you know, it was fun. And that was kind of the end of it. And a couple months later, he contacted me and he said, um, you know, Harvard's looking to start a new course uh, this coming summer. So this would have been like last fall. So they gave me plenty of notice. And he said, uh, summer of 19, we're looking to start a course on data science in advertising and marketing specifically. And, you know, I think you'd be perfect. Are you interested? So uh, it's going to be a lot of work. It has been a lot of work. I've been working on it pretty much every Sunday for the last four months. And my wife's probably getting tired of it. But, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity. I couldn't, I couldn't say no to that. So, uh, so I'm going to be doing that this summer. And then they already have me uh, doing one in the fall and one next spring, which will be more traditional once a week. So that should be a lot easier. Very cool. And so what are the uh, your students going to learn by the end of your three-week intensive course? Yeah, so it's kind of a combination of um, an overview of, of the advertising technology space. Um, I think it's a field that, you know, a lot of people, you know, kind of goes on behind the scenes, but a lot of people don't really know much about it. And then I'm also going to mix in the specific ways that we use data science, right? So uh, I'm going to talk about some of the specific business problems that we solve, and we're actually going to do some coding in R and Python. And um, so, yeah, I think it'll be a good mix of sort of theory and uh, practical application uh, as well. So it'll be intense. Four yeah. hours a night, three, uh, four nights a week for three weeks. Um, so we're going to move quickly, but uh, I think it'll be great. That's really cool. That's um very exciting and i'm sure it's going to go well so i actually before this podcast i had a look at your video uh called um, to bid or not to bid and for everybody interested it's available through justin's linkedin it's not public on youtube but if you go to justin's linkedin and click on uh the link there you can find it and 
I was actually quite fascinated by the world of ad tech. I haven't thought, I, like, I understand, you know, how these ads uh, should work and how machine, what role machine learning plays, but I like the detail, the level of detail you went into there. And, <clears throat> and specifically around the space of video ad tech. So in a nutshell, could you just describe what is this industry all about? What is ad tech? Yeah, sure. Thank you, um, Kirill. So, and I have to be honest, you know, I didn't know a lot about ad tech either. Um, the company I work for now is called Viral Gains, and uh, they specialize in video ad tech, as you mentioned. And um, when they first contacted me, I heard about them from a headhunter about two years ago, uh, and they were looking for a principal data scientist. And, um, you know, I, I just had a good feeling about it, and I took the job. And you know, I've been learning every day since then, and I still have a lot to learn. It's actually a very complex industry, but in a nutshell, you know, basically, I think the easiest way to explain it is probably through a use case, right? So when you open, uh, you know, a browser and you go to your favorite website, whether it be on a desktop or a laptop or a tablet, uh, you know, you'll see these ads pop up, right? And um, sometimes they're static ads, which we call banner ads or display ads. And then sometimes they're video ads and it could be anywhere from five second video up to like a two minute video. But, uh, we don't create the videos, but we work with companies like Toyota, JetBlue, Amtrak, and a lot of the big brands, a lot of the banks, all different industries. And our job is to basically help them, uh, you know, get eyeballs on that video by their target audience. So they might come to us and say, you know, we have this 15 second spot about a new Toyota Highlander truck. Uh, we'd like to show it to, you know, 10,000 people like Carol by the end of the month. Uh, go. And then I sort of have to figure out from a data science perspective, um, you know, do we want to bid on ad space when each individual person opens the browser based on their likelihood to watch the video? Because we only get paid if you watch it for a certain amount of time. Um, so that's sort of the core machine learning behind it is the likelihood that you'll watch it for a long enough time. But there's also a lot of other things. There's um, You can share it with your friends uh, through social media. Um, we do other things like if you click and go to the website and then purchase something, we can measure the ROI on that. So it's all about getting the right, you know, we don't create the video, but it's all about optimizing the process. So the right video gets seen by the right person at the right time on the right device. So they're most likely to act on it. Hmm, very interesting. So um, you mostly working, I'm assuming, with um, classification models. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's been mostly classification up to this point. Um, we're actually doing something now, which is really cool. Uh, which is one of the things we do is um, we have different engagement experiences. So we don't just show you the video. We'll do other things after the video. So one of them is like a, a survey, for example, right? So we'll say. You know, now that you've watched this video, how likely are you to buy a, a Toyota in the next six months, for example, right? And it's a five, you know, one to five star likelihood survey question. Mm -hmm. And we're able to compile the results and send them back to our client, which would be Toyota in this example. And, you know, and tell them, you know, for future targeting purposes, you know, these are the people that are interested. Uh, they tend to be in this geography or this age group or, you know, all different ways we can look at the data. Um, but one of the issues with surveys, particularly if you don't incentivize people, is the response rates are extremely low. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we've been working on the last couple of months is, let's say only 1% of people respond to a survey. 
uh, how great would it be if we could build a, an audience like a lookalike model to infer what the other 99% of people that were exposed to the survey would have answered if they answered the survey based mm -hmm. on what we know about the 1% that did answer. So uh, that's something that's uh, really exciting. No one else in the industry is doing it. And um, that's probably uh, that'll probably be a future presentation to talk about how we did that. So it's pretty cool stuff. That's awesome. So it's kind of like a, an, another machine learning model on the side, kind of a tan going off on a tangent. You know, you got your main one doing the predictive part and then on the side, you're using machine learning to describe the results of your machine learning uh, project type of thing. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's sort of like a multi-class classification problem, right? So instead of your normal classification problem where it's you know binary, you know your your target variable is yes or no, one or zero. You know, in this case, um, we're trying to predict will they answer one star, two star, three star, four star, five star, yeah. right? So it's a five, it's a multi-class classification. Gotcha. So it's more complex, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, I think it's more interesting too. That's, that's really um, very interesting. Like what you said about the whole, you don't, you guys don't get paid unless um, a person watches, watches a certain amount of the video. And like in your presentation, I think that was one of the key moments for me because I think a lot of businesses out there are tired of advertisers and marketers. It's like, just take your money and like, and I'm speaking as a business owner, like they just take your money and then they're like, all right, we promise you these things. You'll have so many, you know, you'll be exposed here and there and so on. But like, they never commit to certain KPIs, certain um, actual ways, measurable ways. And it, it takes like months, uh, sometimes even years, like not as long as years, but like up to a year to figure out, all right, so this is not actually bring us any value. Like it's giving you brand exposure and so on, but people are not really taking action from this specific marketers. So the input they're yeah. doing for your company. And, and what I liked in your video is like, like you mentioned just now, like that you guys don't get paid unless a certain amount of videos watched. Um, but then I think it was, um, it was either you or your co-presenter, Michael, that you guys took it even further that now you're starting to look at, apart from like minutes watched and clicks, uh, you're starting to look at ways for different companies. Um, like for instance, for an auto manufacturer, you can measure if with the right data points, you can measure whether or not that person actually scheduled a test drive uh, of a car. Right. Or, or if somebody walks into a store, like if you're doing it for a retail store, somebody walks into a store using um, with their consent, of course, but using their um, some information from uh, their mobile phone, they you can determine if they came into the store for, based on watching an ad or not. Like you can't determine that. Like on the client side, they can do that, and therefore right. you know they can create this feedback loop. Tell us a bit more about that. Is that where this space of ad tech is moving to? Yeah. So I think it is. Um, I think. You know, marketers, uh, publishers, you know, there's a whole complex uh, sort of environment around this stuff. But, um, you know, I think they're moving beyond just trying to get eyeballs, right, or even just to get clicks. Um, you know, ultimately, they want a business outcome, right? They, they're spending so much money to, to work with us, uh, and they want a return on that investment, you know. So, um, you know, that could be defined many ways. And we get different clients from different industries that define it, you know, dozens of different ways, right? So for one, it might be, 
Um, you know, but ultimately it comes down to like placing a conversion pixel on the, on the website, right? So it might be, if it's a nonprofit, it might be, you know, after Justin watches this video, uh, we want him to, to, uh, fill out this form, you know, for more information and click submit. Like we worked with the university of Phoenix, right? So their whole thing was, you know, don't just watch the video, but actually like, you know, click submit after filling in some basic you know, demographic information, contact information, saying that you want to know more about our school and then we'll follow up with you, right? So for them, it was like a lead generation thing. Um, as you mentioned, for auto, it could be totally different. It could be, you know, go to the website and schedule a test drive. And, and only once they do that, does it fire the conversion pixel? And we can, we can say that as long as it happened within a certain number of days after they watched the video that we uh, showed them, uh, then it's attributable back to that video, right? So uh, you know, it can't be something that happens like six months later. It has to be within, you know, a week or two, but, um, it's however the, however the client defines it. And that's, that's why we have to be flexible in terms of, uh, you know, how we, how we build models around this stuff. Gotcha. One thing I wanted to mention, if I could quickly was, um, you know, not only do we not get paid and unless they watch for a certain amount of time, but, you know, in terms of, I mean, you own a business, you understand cash flow, right? Cash in minus cash out, right? Well, is your profit. Well, we have to pay up front, right? So say you open a browser uh, on your favorite website, um, there's what's called real-time bidding. There's an, there's a, an open uh, real-time auction. And we're, a, we're what's called a demand-side provider, but there's also supply-side providers that provide the inventory. The inventory is just an ad space. So think of it as you open your favorite website, um, the notification is sent to us and all the other DSPs that we're competing with that says, you know, we have this guy, Carol, this is where he's located. This is what device he's on, what operating system he's using. This is the website he's on. Um, some basic stuff we know about him. Are you interested in, in buying this ad space? And if so, go ahead and bid. And it's a blind auction, right? So we could bid and lose, or we could bid and win. So another optimization game is we have to figure out what's the right amount to bid, because we don't want to bid too much where we, we could have wanted for 10 and we spent 20. But we also don't want to bid nine and just barely lose out, right? And because mm -hmm. it's a blind auction, uh, that's that's a whole other uh, sort of purpose for data science is to figure out sort of the market value of that ad specifically for you. And then if we decide we're going to bid on that ad and we actually win it, then we have to decide which video do we show you first, right? Mm -hmm. So you might qualify for three of our target clients, a JetBlue, a Toyota, and Amtrak, let's say. Which one do we want to show you first? Well, the only way to know that is to calculate the likelihood that you'll watch each one of them for long enough for us to get paid. So it's three separate models just for you. Mm -hmm. Wow. And all of that has to happen in like less than a second. Yeah, it's like 10 milliseconds. Yeah. And then so it all has to be automated and at scale. And, uh, you know, that's why I build the models initially. And then, you know, I work closely with the software engineering team to uh, to deploy them and productionize them and make them make them happen fast enough. So that's crazy. We'll get back to that in a second. I'm, I just want to uh, confirm that part. You said that not only you don't get paid, but you actually have to pay. So what does that mean? Exactly. Yeah. So basically, you know, we're bidding on that ad space. And if we it doesn't cost anything to bid, but if we win, um, then we have to pay for it, right? So uh, we're paying up front, and then if you don't watch it for long enough, we don't get any money. So that's basically lost profit on you, oh, right? So, so you, you pay, doesn't the client pay for the ad space? No, they don't. So mm. uh, that's <laughs> so that's on us. So, so you take uh, all on the, all on the 
on all the risks. I want to work with viral gains now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Send no, me no, your we pricing. We take on the risk, and and not only that, but you know, if the if um, it so there's sort of you know think of it as like the micro goal, right? Is you individually? Are you going to watch it long enough so that we get paid? Yeah. But there's also macro goals, which is remember Toyota said we want to have ten thousand people like Carol watch this in the next month. Yeah. So we can't just you know. We can't just say, well, you know, we lost this one. Uh, we had a bad week, but we'll make it up next week. They, you know, they, they check us every hour of every day to make sure that we're on pace for that monthly goal. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty intense and pretty complex, way more than I ever imagined. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. And so tell us a bit more about this whole speed situation, because in your uh, presentation, I was fascinated by this, that unlike other industries that are using data science, you have this additional constriction of time and 10 milliseconds is not a lot of time at all. So one of the interesting things that you guys mentioned uh, in your talk was that you, for instance, you cannot afford to use deep learning as much as you'd like to. Deep learning right. is not an option for you because just you don't have the time for those neural networks to calculate. So tell us a bit yeah. about that. Like how, how has it been working in a constricted type of data science machine learning space? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's very true. I mean, I think, and, you know, that's why I work closely with, you know, with the, the engineering team um, that's deploying the models. And, you know, sometimes they'll come back to me and say, you know, this is just, there's a latency issue, right? Which basically means it's it's too slow, right? It's taking too long to, to not so much to train the model, but to score, right? Like they train it nightly, but then they score people in real time. So when you open a browser, you know, they're scoring you right away, right? In, in fractions of a second. So yeah, to your point, I mean, you know, that we might not be able to do like a, you know, a neural network with 17 hidden layers or something, right? We might be stuck with more like, you know, a logistic regret. But I mean, I've used ensemble models, I've used XG Boost, and, um, you know, we've been able to, to do that. So uh, it's not like, it's not like we're stuck with like a very basic, simple regression. We, there's still a lot of things we can use. Mm. But, um, but yeah, it has to work quickly. So that's another consideration we have to think about. And it's, it's, I guess it's also on, um, on you to be smart about not only what you use, but how you use, you know, how you structure your code, how you, um, like m how you make it faster. Like what are some of the tips you have for somebody in a similar space that has a similar problem that yeah. like, they have, have this time restriction, time constraint? What what are some of the tips or hacks you can share for making these uh, getting getting the results fast? Yeah, sure. So I think um, you know Occam's razor, right? Keep it simple uh, is always a, a good one, right? So you know when I'm thinking about feature engineering, you know I might start with you know a hundred variables, but you know in the end, you know the the final model might might have you know ten or fifteen at the most, right? So it's it's really trying to figure out, you know, which are the variables that, which are the features that are most predictive of your target variable, um, and and only sticking with those and not including other variables that will just basically make it overly complex, uh, increase your chances for overfitting, and then slow down the model, right? So those are kind of three negative things that can come from a model being too complex. So, mm -hmm. so feature engineering getting. Getting the right uh, amount of feature. I guess that's probably like one of the biggest ones. Is there is there anything else that uh, really reduces the the load or the latency? Um, I 
think that's probably the big one. Um, just, you know, again, like you said earlier, you know, sticking to certain models, right. That, you know, avoiding overly complex models, but then when I say model, I'm talking about the algorithm, right? So, you know, maybe you're not able to use, you know, all the most complex algorithms, but you're still able to use, you know, many different algorithms. And then, and then the model itself, you know, um, if there's, uh, if there's 10 features that, you know, give you 99% of the performance that the extra five features would have given you, you know, in half the time, uh, then it's a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's kind of a cost benefit analysis, right? Then maybe, maybe you don't need the extra, um, the extra five variables. You can do the same thing with, with the 10 that you have. So, you know, it's not one of my favorite quotes is, you know, um, perfect is the enemy of good. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I myself am sort of, as I'm sure a lot of data people are, right, we're sort of type A perfectionists, right? And one of the things I've learned is, you know, throughout my career is um, you know, getting a, mo you know, the best model in the world doesn't doesn't give you an ounce of business value unless it's in production, right? And even then, sometimes it takes months to realize the business value, depending on the model. So um, spending that extra week to get, you know, an extra 0.01 on your area under the curve or an extra 1% on your precision you know, might not be worth it. It might be better to just uh, get something that's really good and, and get it out, out there and start achieving value from it. Gotcha. I totally agree. And um, yeah, so tell us a bit about refreshing models. How often do you rerun, retrain your models? Yeah, so um, we retrain them. Uh, so are you talking about like when we actually run them, we run them, we retrain them on a nightly basis, right? So yeah, yeah, based on... All the, yeah, so all the impressions that came in in the last 24 hours, um, you know, we uh, and when I say impression, those are people that are opening browsers, right? We call them impressions. So, yeah, so we retrain on a nightly basis. Um, you know, and we talked about that. You know, um, that's one of the interesting decisions that we had to make was, you know, is that enough? Should we do it hourly? Should we do it real time? Should we do it once a week? You know, and the short answer is, you know, test out different things and see how often it actually changes. And if, um, you know, you don't need overkill, right? So if once a day, once a night is, is fine and it's not going to change that much every hour, then um, then that's probably sufficient. So that, that's, that's very interesting. So we're actually talking about uh, training a model as in, all right, you have this data from during the day, who clicked, who didn't, and you want to go and um up, update your coefficients and, and things like that inside your algorithm right. so the next day it's applied like most companies or companies that people I, who i've spoken to from or know how their models work most companies don't even do it that often you know like many many banks will do it like once once a month you know once every two yeah. months retrain them all so um it does does the dynamic really change on the, like a daily basis like what is that associated? yeah it does and and i think um you know you know we looked at that and we we ultimately decided that uh it changes enough day to day that you know it's worth retraining the models if it wasn't you know an extra load on uh in terms of engineering right and, mm -hmm. and it really didn't make any difference to them or to our system so uh we ultimately decided that uh you know once a day for this was good um and it changed enough on a daily basis that because you have to remember too we're talking about like crazy volume here right like we literally look at like billions of impressions every minute wow right so it actually it actually you know 
it's not like a small like retail mom and pop shop or something, right? Where you might get like a hundred transactions a day or something, right? Then the type of people that buy, you know, frozen peas, you know, probably didn't change much from yesterday to today, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about, you know, seeing billions of people a day, um, it actually changes pretty frequently. Interesting. Do you think, what do you think that change is associated with? Like, first thing that pops to mind for me is, what if, uh, what if it's just like day of the week, right? Like maybe on Tuesdays, people are, are less, less uh, yep. excited to click on stuff. But then in that case, you, you'd have Yeah, we've, we've actually... No? Yeah, well, so we've actually looked at day of the week as a model feature too, right? Mm. So, oh, okay. um, so that becomes a categorical variable, right, with seven values, or hour of the day becomes a categorical with 24 values, right? Mm -hmm. and then, but, but then you have to convert it to local time, right? Because you don't want to compare you know, what, what you're doing at 7am in Bali, uh, and I'm doing at 7am in Boston, right? That's yeah. two totally different times. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of things it could be. And that's why we, you know, when I first start building a model, I look at basically every potential variable I can think of and the business can think of, you know, I meet with the executives and, you know, what could possibly help us predict this target variable. And, um, and then, you know, we, we kind of whittle it down from there. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, and so what what would you say are um, the factors that make this space so dynamic? What why is it changing on a daily basis? Like what like is there something in the audience? Is there something in the product? Is there something? Um, yeah. You know, where well, I just thought, I don't I'd love to know or get a feeling for what can make people's opinions at the end of the day. It's like people on one day they're you know more likely to click if you have these coefficients if this is how you serve the ads and then the next day something is changed about them like their moods their i don't know uh, attitude towards the product that now you need to serve them a different ad or you need to serve them a different product like overall so just curious yeah, what sure. are your thoughts on that yeah so i mean that's what makes it so interesting right i think in terms of on a macro level um, some of the things that, that are changing and this is actually some of the stuff I'm going to talk about in my upcoming course is, you know, are that, you know, first of all, with the whole Facebook, you know, data privacy concerns, right. That are going on. Um, you know, people are, people are very leery to, to do anything, right. Because they're kind of worried, like, you know, that you're going to find out too much about me. And, you know, there's, there's personally identifiable information and, you know, I don't want to answer any questions. And what happens if I watch this video? There's something called ad choice, right, at the on the bottom right, which you know you can opt out. Um, so there's there's sort of concerns like that where, you know, we're up against it in the sense that I think everybody's more cautious now, maybe than they were even a year ago in terms of what they do online and who's going to see it and how how they're going to be tracked and targeted based on that. Um, but that said, um, you know, some of the things I think you know, are the, the type of the video itself, right? So what is in the video? Is it, is it a persuasive video? Is it an instructional video? Is it meant to be funny? Um, are there famous celebrities in the video? Is there music? What kind of colors are used, right? So there's a lot of things you can look at in terms of, you know, the video itself. Um, because if you were to ask me, you know, most people, let's be honest, right? They don't like those ads popping up, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, our CEO's mission is to to show people ads that they don't think suck, right? Or something like that. I'm yeah. paraphrasing. But, you know, 
or, or we want to suck less than than other people, right? It's a numbers <laughs> game, right? And it's a percentage game, right? So, so um, what would you guess if I were to ask you uh, what percent of people do you think uh, watch a video for? Uh, let's say let's say it's a let's say it's a thirty second video. What what percentage of people would you say watch it in its entirety? In its entirety, mm, I would say like 10, 12%. So last year, uh, we were able to get that up to 75%. No so, way. Uh, yeah, so that's that was a pretty good result. Um, because like you said, anecdotally, when you talk to 10 friends, you know, they're all going to say, no way, I don't watch those things, right? Yeah. So, but there, but there, but there's something that you would watch. So is it, you know, is it, is it the video? Is it like you said, the mood you're in? Um, is it demographically, you know, certain yeah, yeah, types yeah, of yeah. people like certain types of, so that's what makes it so interesting. Um, and honestly, I wish we had more data than we do sometimes. Um, you know, there's a lot of data about the person and the personality and things like that, that, um, you know, we have some, but you know, if we had more, I think we could do even better, but I think based on what we have, um, you know, we we're very happy with uh, the results we got. That's that's really cool. Seventy five percent is incredible, and you just made me think about like my past, um, you know, a couple of weeks. What what kind of ads I've been seeing, and indeed, you're right. There are certain ads which I will watch to the end. For instance, like if I'm uh, if I log happen to log on to Instagram, and there there they often like put an ad and Recently, I've been thinking about buying a, a backpack, and so I've been like searching for backpack because my my backpack is like four years old, and um, it's time to update. So I've been searching for like a, an advanced a backpack, you know, waterproof with uh, with like uh, certain you know, security features and so on. And now I'm getting these ads for backpacks, but that's actually very handy for me because I don't have to search for it myself. Like I'm getting these kickstarters that I might be interested in or these really cool backpacks that you know are already you can already buy and get shipped and that's a really cool way for me to save time because it's all summarized in that video and if I like I watch it for 30 seconds if I'm interested in more I just go and click on it so I totally get what you mean like sometimes like I don't mind these ads if they're serving me and they're useful so yeah that's really cool and, you know and and you know, I think the word that comes to mind is relevance, right? If it's Real. if it's relevant to you and your specific situation, you're more likely to engage with it, right? Mm. Uh, if it's not, then then you're not, right? So, um, you know, it's interesting. Like one of the things I was just thinking about when you were saying that, Carol, was you know that's part of our decision too. Is and you know that's a good thing that we have, you know, we have several clients, you know, at the same time. So. You know, you might qualify for the target audience of five of our different clients, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's five different videos that we could show you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of them you're going to be more likely to watch than the other four, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to figure out which one is that, right? And show you that one first. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. So, so it could be a backpack in your case or, you know, golf clubs or, you know, whatever it is. But um, based on what we know about you and people like you, uh, we have to maximize the likelihood that, that you are going to watch the ad. And that all kind of ties in, in the end, something that, again, you mentioned in your presentation really resonated with me is that is user experience, right? Like we're beyond the days where, you know, you know like 2000s uh, or probably like uh, early 2010s, like 2012, 14 and so on, where people were just being bombarded with these ads where you 
couldn't care less you just like click close and so on still happens on youtube quite quite a bit where like there's an ad i just want to watch the video leave me alone type of thing but now mm -hmm. we're moving to a space of or a time of where user experience is at the top of the priority list that all right we want the people who watch this to have a great time we don't just want to like throw those ads out there just to meet our kpis of you know like uh, getting um you know 10,000 impressions we want to actually make those impressions count we want people we don't want pe if a person's not interested in buying a car why would we show him this video right like so we want to maximize right. as much as we can um the information that we have the algorithms that we're using in order to create the ultimate user experience so at the end of the day imagine like i like i would love to see a world where not only the advertisers are happy because like their ads are getting out there but users predominantly like 75 percent would be amazing if 75 percent of people are happy that they're getting the ads that they're getting they're serving them how cool would that be yeah exactly and that's uh yeah, that's that's what that's what we're trying to do. Um, another macro trend that I just thought of, um, you know, besides the privacy concerns, is is everything moving to mobile, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it could be a very different experience too. Like some people might be uh, more likely to, you know, watch a full ad if it's on their desktop and it's a bigger screen, right? Other people might be more likely to watch it if uh, they're on a mobile device because they're on, you know, they have an hour commute every morning on the train, and they have a tablet or they have a phone and you know, once they get to the office on their desktop, they don't have any time for that stuff. But on the train, they might be w more willing to watch it. So that's another thing is sort of the movement toward mobile and everybody's spending, you know, whatever the crazy average is, like four or five hours, you know, online every day on their mobile devices. Uh, you know, how do we have to adjust our our business based on uh, based on that trend? So there's a lot of interesting. It's always changing. It's never the same. So that's why. I yeah. Like it. So you guys serve uh, ads across all platforms, including mobile. We do, yeah. Awesome, awesome. And uh, another thing that was interesting in, in uh, that uh, you mentioned just just before was that you have parameters about the video. Tell us a bit more about that. Like, so you not only have parameters uh, or features about the person uh, or you know the time of day, what 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 laptop, what type of device they were watching on, but also you use you know whether it's a car video, whether it's a uh, you know, a, a cheap product, an expensive product. I, I'd be curious to know what features you use from inside the video, describe the video in your model, because it it's very interesting when you have both sides, you're not just selling like a single individual product to a person and therefore you can only use the features about them, like the, right. let's say, end, end user features. But now you have multiple products that you can feature to the user. As you said, you want to show the one that will maximize the outcome. And so now you can have features that in the features from the start, the starting end features and the uh, outs, like and the final yep. features. And that, that sounds really cool. Like not many data science problems have, have both sides involved in the feature engineering. Tell us a bit about the features. Yeah, so I think um, it doesn't exist is the short answer, right? So it's not like, it's not like Toyota will send us a 30 second video and they'll say, you know, these are 20 attributes about the video, and then we just add them to our database, and we have a nice handy attributes table that we join to our other tables about the user and the you know environment and those kind of things. You know, we kind of have to build it ourselves, right? So, um, you know, and unfortunately, you know, some of it is proprietary. I can't give like specifics, but mm -hmm. but yeah, the idea is, you know, we need to classify 
each video ad that we receive from a client according to several attributes. And to your point, um, you know, it's one thing to say that, you know, people over the age of 70 never watch videos, so we're just not going to show it to them, right? Well, um, there's two problems with that, right? One is um, our client might come to us and they might say, we want you to show this to 10,000 people over the age of 70, mm -hmm. you know? So mm -hmm. uh, we can't come back and say, yeah, I mean, we could, we could say, you know, we don't think that's a great idea or this type of video tends to do better with a, a younger demographic, that kind of thing. But ultimately, they're designing ads. They have experts that design ads. Um, they don't necessarily want our feedback on how to build a better ad. So what we do have to do is sort of optimize with what we're given. So uh, we can we could say, well, you know, this, uh, you know, this video uh, has these attributes, and we've noticed historically that this video doesn't do as well with this type of uh, demographic, but. You know, like I said, you can either target a different demographic or you can change the video slightly uh, to include more, you know, softer music or, uh, you know, a different spokesperson or, um, you know, you know, this demographic loves pets. You know, you should have a pet in your video. You know? so, mm -hmm. As you can imagine, there, there's no blueprint. Right. I mean, I looked I looked for days online for anything like that and it just doesn't exist. And. But in a way, that's exciting, right? Because that means we're, we can build something that nobody's done before, and uh, it's a lot of hard work. But um, but you know, when you find those two or three features from the video that that help the model performance, uh, you know, incrementally over what you already have, then you know that's sort of the eureka moment. And it might be that it's not just that these things help overall, but but these particular video features help with a particular demographic that you're having a hard time reaching. So even if they don't work with other demographics, um, they work well with this demographic. So that's why I say it's a, it's an optimization problem. Gotcha. So the, just so I understand it better, the way it would work is, for instance, in one of the, like you have five or three products that you can potentially choose from, in one of the ads, let's say you have a pet. And um, then in, not across every single model, you wouldn't put like the, categorical uh, Boolean variable, you know, has pet or not. So you wouldn't put that like, or, or you wouldn't include that information. Yeah, as, as a categorical variable in every single model, you'll just include it in the model that actually has the pet. And then you would see if that affect, like what kind of, what kind of demographic that uh, helps with right. So, for instance, for some some certain demographics, some certain let's say age groups between uh, I don't know thirty or twenty to thirty, having a pet doesn't matter, or you know makes them less likely to see the video. But then all other groups like thirty and above or under twenty, uh, having a pet in the video will make the model spit out um, a higher percentage. Is, right. that, is that how it would work? Yeah. So there's a couple things. One is I think. Um, you could have different models, right? So you could have uh, different, you could have sort of a one size fits all model that you build on all your historical data uh, across all videos that you've shown historically, all video attributes and all types of users. And overall, it'll tell you, you know, these are the five things that really matter the most, right? In terms of, you know, somebody's likelihood to watch a video, right? Or to click or to submit a form or to purchase something online or to schedule a test drive or whatever the business uh, outcome that you're trying to, uh, uh, you know, encourage is. But, you know, if you find to your point that 
you know, through exploratory data analysis, right, that, you know, if you picture like a heat map, right, where you have like down the first column, you have five different buckets for age, right? So under 18, 19 to 25, et cetera, et cetera. And then across the top, you have like maybe 20 different video attributes, right? And then in the cells, you have um, basically the average number of seconds that somebody watched a video, right? Or, uh, or, the, or the likelihood that they watch it for 30 or more seconds, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, then you can kind of look for the red areas and say, okay, look, you know, these three attributes do really well with the younger demographic. Uh, the older demographic, they don't move the needle at all. So then you, from a business perspective, you could say, okay, uh, do we want to include those in the overall model or do we, or do we want to build a separate model by de- demographic group where they have different attributes for each, you know, and that's the more specific you get, uh, the better your model performance is going to be. Uh, the issue of course is, the time. you know, you don't want to go, you don't want to go too crazy because then, you know, then in that 10 milliseconds where we have to decide, do we want to bid on Carol? How much do we want to bid on him? And then which of these five videos do we show him? Um, you know, that's already five models, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't want to, we don't want to exponentially be increasing that because then it, it takes too long. So. Gotcha. Wow. Very exciting. Well, Justin, thank you. you huge thank you for all the, you know, description of the, you know, how this whole ad space works. Um, at this stage, I think let's let's switch topic a little bit because you have a very interesting background, and I would uh, you know as much, we can keep talking about ad tech for probably ages, but like I would love to talk about your background as well and you know your journey in data science because I think a lot of our listeners can get tons of value out of that as well. So um, let's start with you know the whole notion of you having. I think this is very interesting that you actually don't have a uh, physics or um, hard science background, as you say, but you have an MBA. So what is it like mm-hmm. to get into data science with an MBA? Uh, I mean, although that's probably not the right question because you've been in data science for like you know, 20 so twenty plus years, even, even before it was, the term was coined. So like walk us through this. How, how did you get into data science? How did the sure. MBA fit into all of that? And you know, like, uh, what's sure. your career been like? Yeah, so I'm a little different, I guess, than some people in the in the sense that you know a lot of I know a lot of uh, data scientists come from you know PhDs in physics or you know statistics or something like that. Um, but I always have sort of had a, an acumen for numbers, right? Like I did major in math undergrad, so it's not like I it's not like I came from like you know an archaeology major or something. You know, <laughs> I've always worked with numbers. Uh, long before it was called data science, you know, I was always in analytics and things like that. But, but you know, at some point, like you said, midway through my career, I kind of had to decide, okay, to sort of get to the next level, um, you know, to be the director, the VP level, to be managing teams of data scientists, you know, would it be more beneficial for me to go back to school and get a master's in like stats and then a PhD, which would take like six years, uh, or, you know, to get an MBA? And I just decided that, you know, at the time, based on, you know, my situation and my family and everything else, that um, the MBA would have a, a higher return on investment for me. So that's why I did it. Um, and I think the MBA has been great. Um, it was, I went to Babson, which is a pretty technical school uh, near Boston. There's there's a lot of entrepreneurial focus. So uh, it really helps you in terms of thinking about, you know, the business first and, um, you know, 
all your decisions in data science are, you know, don't start with the model, right? And say, well, I, I heard a support vector machine is this really cool model. I got to figure out how I'm going to use it. You know, that's mm. kind of a backwards approach. In my opinion, it's, you know, the problem is we're losing 10% of our customers every month. Uh, we need a model that's going to help us, you know, improve retention by 20%, you know, or something like that. Now, which model can help us do that, right? So it's starting with the business problem uh, and then and then determining which model you want to use rather than the other way around. Um, and I think that's, I got that from, you know, from my MBA, I'm just kind of thinking about it that way. Uh, because ultimately, you know, no matter what you do in data science, uh, with, with, with a few rare exceptions, uh, you're going to be working for somebody else and they're going to have business goals and they don't care what your area under the curve is or, or they don't care what a confusion matrix is or anything else. You know, they just want to be able to say, mm -hmm. you know, what was the business impact based on your model and how quickly did you, did you get it, get us to that point? So I think the MBA has been great for me in, in terms of that. Also just in terms of, you know, um, managing, presenting, uh, communicating with executives, uh, all those things I think, uh, you know, you get from an MBA that you might not get from a, a PhD in a hard science. So, but that's yeah. just my opinion, you know? Yeah, no, gotcha, gotcha. And, uh, you mentioned like in your current role, you do need to communicate with your clients, with executives as well to make sure you are on the right track in terms of that business impact with your ads. So yeah. Sure and it's all, yeah, it's like if they ask you a question, uh, it's good to sort of understand, you know, why you're doing this, uh, and you can make some good suggestions back to them, uh, and you know, feel like you're feel like you're contributing on a strategic level as, as well as just on a technical level. So gotcha. And you've also worked in a wide diversity of industries and company sizes. So I'd be curious, like you worked. Um, at Staples, for example, that's a mm -hmm. massive company of thousands of employees. And now you work at Viral Gains, with, uh, uh, which is more of a startup, small size. You know, mm -hmm. what, is, uh, what does it feel in terms of like doing data science at companies of different sizes? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, Staples, uh, I, think that, you know, I think there's pros and cons to both, right? And I also think that, um, honestly, I... You know, it wasn't like I, it happened by design, right? I just, I sort of, uh, you know, you do this stuff long enough, you know, you end up working for different industries, different sizes of companies. And, um, you know, I think one of the reasons that I was interested in the startup this time, and honestly, this is the first, you know, true startup that I've worked for, um, is just that things move quickly, right? Yeah. I think sometimes when you're with a big company, uh, you know, I've had the experience where, you know, you build this really accurate model, but by the time it gets deployed and by the time the business realizes any value from it, you know, it's six months, eight months later. And by then so much has changed in the environment that your business is in that the model is not even relevant anymore. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that gets frustrating. Um, I love, you know, the, the culture where I am now in a startup is sort of fail quickly. Right. And there's a lot of experimentation and, uh, you know, come up with a hypothesis, test it, uh, build a model, get it out there. We can always improve it later, but, you know, just, you know, move quickly. And yeah. uh, I like that. You know, I like that. Um, I think one of the advantages of a bigger company, uh, particularly in data science, uh, you know, is you can learn from other people. Right. So I'm I'm sort of the guy. Right. And, I'm, you know, there's been several jobs where I've been the first guy and then I built a team. And, you know, that's great. And I, I enjoy that. And I certainly learn from the people that you know, that work on my team, but, um, you know, 
it's not the same as like working at, you know, an Aetna or a Wayfair, you know, a couple examples of big companies in Boston that have hundreds of data scientists, right? Where every day you're, you know, sharing code with, with 10 brilliant people, you know, and you're, you're learning from them. Um, you know, that's something that you do miss in a startup. So yeah. I think there's pros and cons to both, but I'm, I'm pretty happy where I am right now. So awesome. Awesome. Do you think you're going to grow your data science team? Because I'm like, I'm a hundred percent sure there's data scientists in Boston listening to this who would be super eager to work side by side by you and like it sounds like you could learn a lot like heck I would work I would work in your team just to learn all these things you're talking about so is any any yeah. plans on growing the team at um, viral games yeah I think so um, and thank you thank you for the kind words I think uh, you know we are a startup and you know budget's tight so it's not like we're hiring you know 10 this year or something like some companies might but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, in the next six months or so, we, you know, we start looking for somebody. Um, and, you know, I would also just throw out there that, you know, I'm perfectly happy to, you know, to jump on the call on a call with somebody or, you know, have coffee with somebody if they're local um, and just talk about their career and, you know, any ways I can help them, even if it's not necessarily, even if we're not hiring right now, you know, I know. I, you know, I know a lot of people in data science at all different companies around the area, so I can, you know, maybe get them in contact with somebody that is hiring too. So, fantastic, fantastic. And speaking of that, like, what, what are some of the best ways to get in touch with you, Justin? Yeah, so uh, I'm on LinkedIn, um, and then uh, uh, I guess email. Um, if they wanted to, uh, they could they could reach out to me on email. Uh, it's just Justin Fortier, uh, one eleven at gmail dot com. So it's J U S T I N F O R T I E R, one 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 at gmail dot com. Gotcha. And uh, I'll hire anybody except you, Carol. No, just joking. <laughs> 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 You're unrecruitable anyway. That's what it says right on your profile. You're unrecruitable. Yeah. So well, you try. know, like I'd love to, but you got. I got. <laughs> like I can't, I can't. As you say, you know the the time thing, right? Like you, you are you feeling the same thing now? You've got a job, you got a family. How many kids? Yeah, you have? I have seven year old twins and a twenty four year old uh, musician that, down in Brooklyn. So trying wow. to make it as a professional musician. So, and uh, we have two dogs, uh, an old dog and a new puppy that. Uh, eats everything in sight so yeah there's never never a dull moment in the 40 yeah. household sure. and on top of all of that you're you're about to teach a course at harvard like heck like where's the time i know come from? i know yeah. but how do you how do you say no to that right so yeah. uh, i like to challenge myself and you know sometimes you got to go outside your comfort zone a little bit so uh yeah I'm, by the way where can people my best. Find, find this course like if somebody wants to sign up for it if it's not too late like where where can people find it yeah so it's it's in the um, it's in this what they call the summer school, uh, and they have three week intensive programs, and they also have seven week. Uh, this is the first of the three week programs. So, um, I don't know the exact website, but if you just Google like you know uh, Harvard Summer School, um, uh-huh. uh, yeah, you'll you'll see it. Um, and it's the the name of the course is uh, uh, something I think it's called advertising and real-time technology or something like that but if you just google harvard summer school advertising um you'll see it and you'll see my name as the instructor so yeah i'd love to have anybody that's interested sign up we still have uh quite a few seats open so uh be great yeah you guys hurry up by the time this podcast is released there might not be quite a few seats <laughs> open. 
Awesome, awesome. Well, Justin, thanks so much for coming on the show. I just have one question left for you. What's, uh, what's a book you can recommend to our listeners that uh, might help them in their careers or their lives? Yeah, sure. Um, I really like, I mean, there, there's so many good books uh, about data science, um, but you know, I'm all about sort of the practical application, the business application of it. Uh, so for me, um, one of the books that really I read it probably three or four years ago, and it really got me interested in this stuff. Um, well, there were a couple. One was uh, called Predictive Analytics by Eric Siegel, who who runs the um, um, one of the local conferences uh, here in uh, Predictive Analytics World, I think it's called, here in Boston. Um, that was a good book in terms of sort of uh, data science 101 without being super technical. But another one I like is uh, Data Science for Business, it's called, and it's by... Uh, the authors are Foster Provost and Tom Fawcett, and that's really good. Uh, it gets into, you know, a dozen or so uh, specific business use cases where you where you'll need data science, and it also gets into more of the, the you know, the code and and the technical uh, you know approaches to to tackling those problems. So, uh, those are those are two really good ones. Thank you, thank you. So, predictive analytics and data science for business. Um, yeah, on that note, Justin, thanks so much for coming uh, onto the show, sharing your insights. Really hope I'll see you at Data Science Go again this year. And um, yeah, like, let's stay in touch, man. Sounds good. All right, thanks, Kira. Thank you, everybody, for being part of today's episode. Super pumped about the conversation we had. I hope you enjoyed this excourse into the world of ad tech what an incredible world you got to do data science but you got to do it fast you have to take care of uh, not only the results and the business impact outcomes but also you got to keep in mind that constraint that you don't have much time to bring up those insights and of course you we saw a great example of where you need to as a data scientist Keep the user experience in mind because ultimately people can get value out of ads. You know, some of the stats that uh, Justin shared with uh, how many people are watching uh, these ads to the end and how they're serving them are incredible because that just shows that they're serving the relevant advertisements and the relevant content to the relevant audience. So. A good combination of all those things, uh, business impact, constraint on time, and user experience all combined in the world of ad tech. As usual, you can get the show notes for this episode at www.superdatascience.com slash 269. That's superdatascience.com slash 269, where you can get the transcript for this episode, plus any materials we mentioned on the show and of course the URLs to Justin's LinkedIn and other places where you can get in touch with him and if you want to work with viral gains you can find them there as well we'll include links to uh, their website very uh, sounds like a very exciting company with some very bright future ahead on that note thank you so much for being here today very excited about today's episode and I can't wait to see you back here next time until then happy analyzing <laughs>